change. This train not taking passengers. <laughs> hey everyone. Oh, this is nice. <laughs> um, I did something big about a month ago, maybe. Yeah, maybe a month. About a month. Um, I was out. I, was, I got a mate of mine who's getting married, and um, I'm on his bridal party. And we're at uh, Chatty, the shops, uh, just trying suits on and things like that. And um, while we were there, we went to JB for some reason. Come on, what we're looking for. I said, you know what? I think it's time I'm buying a set of headphones. I've got a pair that I use at home. Um, and I've had these headphones for over 10 years. They were given to me by someone. Um, and they were a good set. They were these piney DJ spec sort of headphones like yeah, over 10 years ago. And I've changed, you know, those rubber pads, uh, the rubber ear pads like that yeah, go on the muffs. I've changed them over twice. You know, when the old ones get uh, dried out, cracked, and they chip, they flake, I've changed them twice. That's how old they are. And I'd realized when I'd done the last run of voiceovers for someone, I was using those headphones and I, I couldn't hear my own voice. Like, they sounded really tinny. I got frustrated. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, these are, these are broken as well. Like, they're so uncomfortable to use. I got to get rid of them. So I did. I've still got them. Like, but I just said, no, nah, I've got to buy some headphones. So, yeah, I was at JB, and I'm like, you know what? I've done enough voiceover jobs to justify buying a $100 pair of headphones. Like, this is ridiculous. So, yeah, I treated myself and bought a new pair. They're the same ones that I have at the studio in um, uh, where we do the podcast. And this is the first time I'm actually using them for, like, something. <laughs> so, it's nice. Um, yeah, I've got... Uh, Part two of the last episode that I've uh, put up about, um, I'd spoken to Gwyneth and George about the occult. Uh, part two is still sitting on the can. Like, I've got to get it edited. It's just, I've, yeah, had a lot of work on. It's crazy. Um, and I'd been meaning to do a solo one for ages, and I just kept putting it off just because I'd been too busy. And it's weird. Things come up, and I get amped or angry. And it's like, oh, I've got to put this down, you know, because I'm sick of repeating myself. Look, okay, maybe I've already mentioned this before. I don't know. I use a lot of these solo pod episodes just as a stream of conscious sort of thought. I can't remember when it started. I think they sort of started in 2017, maybe after Johnny first uh, jumped off. I can't remember. But I started doing solo drops. I should go back and see when the first one was. Anyway, and the way they work is, um, yeah, I got really bad at note taking for these sort of things because I always lose them. I used to write articles back in the day, back from when I was eighteen, probably through to my mid mid to late twenties, mid twenties probably. Um, I used to write like little mini rants, editorials, all that sort of stuff on anything. It could, it was just stories, you know, personal opinion, you know, op-ed sort of shit. Of course it didn't mean anything then. It wouldn't mean anything now. Like these don't mean anything now, but, um, it was a good way to just channel my energy and get my thoughts out and all that sort of stuff. 
And um, yeah, I used to be meticulous with that with note taking. The only thing, the ironic thing now is that I've got nothing but multimedia around me, like three phones at all times, a tablet, a phone, a laptop. And I can never take notes. I can never find anything to take notes on or with. Um, so yeah, the problem is, is that, you know, people will ask me for my opinion. I get into conversations with people and sometimes something will happen like a world event or whatever. And I get tired of repeating myself, repeating myself every time someone brings up the same conversation. And so a lot of the times I'll just forward them a link to the Spotify thing and say, yeah, here's what I think on that. Okay. Especially if it's something that's half controversial or, you know, it's definitely going to go back and forth. And sometimes I'll just say to someone here, listen to this, then come back to me with your thoughts. And not because I'm an authority or anything, just because I can't be bothered repeating myself. Yeah. Some of the stuff people choose to argue about is really droll. But then you're talking to a guy that does a podcast with two other idiots and we we debate cold cuts or straight, you know, deserted island uh, reading material. <laughs> anyway, um, apologies for my voice as well. Uh, we just had the bucks for that said wedding uh, over the weekend and I didn't actually stop working, so I was working every day and in between work I was running a box <laughs> for a mate <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't, it brought a lot of things in a perspective it's so weird like one thing we did was go to um, we went to a club and it's the first time I've been to a nightclub nightclub like not a bar not a speakeasy sort of drinking session you know all that sort of thing that you typically do when you're approaching 40 uh, but uh, a club and it's a club that I'd been to back like 20 years ago. I remember having a mate's, you know, 21st there. And, um, yeah, put a lot of different things into perspective. It's so weird. Because, I mean, on one hand, you know, most of us there, like, yeah, not most of us there, all of us, all, all the people in attendance at the Bucks, you know, we're between the ages, like, say, 32 and 42. Yeah, that's a safe sort of bet. And it's weird going to a club now and you're in your late 30s. You you know, you have money. Yeah, you, you probably have a bit more expendable money to buy yourself a drink or whatever and catch an Uber home than you did when you were 18. But then I remember when I was 18, I was working like, you know, casual job cleaning and I had youth allowance. And I didn't have the overheads and expenses that I have now. But it seemed like every two weeks, <laughs> at least... I was going out and getting absolutely munted. And I could drink like a machine back then, you know. Um, but yeah, it was strange being in this club that I'd been in you know, 20 years ago. And I remember getting amped up because I could hear them, the same tunes that I was listening to 20 years ago in clubs that were getting played on Saturday. I'm like, what the hell? Like, I specifically remember sitting there and I was trying to, I was just working my way through a drink and I just said, I'm like, that's in the club, man. I was at the end of high school when that got leaked. I was literally at the end of high school when in the club got leaked. And it was firing off. And all these kids. That's the other thing, these kids. 
They looked like they were 18, 19, 20, you know, like young. And they were losing it over like 50 Cent, DMX, Biggie. All these tunes that came out from like 95 up until 2005. It's really, really bizarre. It's like that Fat Man Scoop song, you know. That came out in the early 90s, mid-90s or whatever it was. And I was listening to it in 2005. Now they're listening to it in 2022. It's clubbing, like, it's a different experience. A lot of posing. I don't remember doing a lot of posing. I think it's because of the smartphones. Oh, that was the other thing. There was, I remember being on the dance floor and most of my mates had veered off to go like have a dart. So that a lot of them were outside for a lot of the night. Half of them were in this booth that we'd, we'd gotten. So I was on the dance floor most of the night. And I remember looking next to me and there were these t- uh, group of girls, probably like, I don't know, mid-twenties or something. And one was filming the other one twerk for like four seconds. I'm assuming it was for like a TikTok or an Instagram loop or something. But the, the thing that got me was that like, she filmed her, handed her the phone. Her friends looked at it, rubbished it, and said, go again. And they did this for like over a two-minute period. Like, what are, you, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, you're going to go viral with your one twerk video on Instagram. It was so annoying. It was annoying. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember doing that like 20 years ago because, I mean, smartphones weren't around. We definitely weren't taking photos like that. I remember just going to clubs and getting blind the minute I walked in. I don't know. With the booth that we'd um, we'd organized, we'd gotten like, you know, guest list. It was also almost impossible to organize a guest list for, uh, there was about 19 guys, 15 and 15 to 20 guys, let's just say that. And we spent like two, three weeks calling every venue in Melbourne that had bottle service and booths and all that sort of stuff that would accommodate for 20 guys. Like it, it, You couldn't do it. They wouldn't accept it. It's like, and we were, we were hitting them with a, we'll pay whatever it costs. Just, you know, we want a booth, we want guaranteed entry. Um, we're celebrating something and, you know, we'll pay whatever the, the, the tab is. We're happy to pay for booze and la, la, la. Sorry, we can't help you. And it struck me, like, what do you mean? Like, you don't want our service. But at the same time, 20 women would get into a club in a heartbeat and not necessarily pay for anything besides entry, you know? I don't understand how, especially post-COVID, like how you could have the luxury of saying, no, we don't need the business of, you know, two to three grand guaranteed. We don't need it. Like that would cover your DJ and most of your floor staff for the night. But yeah, it was an absolute nightmare to do it. And then I took point on the night. Yeah, like myself and the best man were sort of, we were sort of holding all the cards and the keys for, for everyone. So I took point and said, all right, I'll go sort out the door, you know, make sure everyone gets in. And the, the, the woman at the front door was like, are you on this list? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what's the list? And I said, well, it's so-and-so's, you know, uh, gig thing. I said, okay, so what's your name? I said, well, I'm Demetrios. 
there's no Demetrios here. I'm like, impossible. <laughs> Actually, I, every time I say the word impossible, I always think of um, Squeak, Squeak Scolari from, from Basketball when he's, in the, he's at the game and he's looking at that oh, drag queen or trans woman in the crowd that was at the bar. It's like clearly a dude with a blonde wig. <laughs> and then Rahim tells him, no, oh, that's a guy. It's impossible. <laughs> um, yeah. I said, literally, my name's Demetrios. Well, there's no Demetrios here. I said, that's impossible. <laughs> it's like, give me the list. <laughs> I literally I took the list off her. I'm like, well, Tim is right there. Clearly. Like, seriously? Like, okay. That's, that's fine. Right? And so I got past that hurdle. And then when I went inside, I was looking for, I was trying to find a way to the, the booth because I didn't know which booth was ours or whatever. So I've said to, you know, um, like I found someone, a security or something, and I said, hey, okay, where's the, <laughs> where's the booth for, you know, Tom's birthday? And... <laughs> And the guy's like, there's no Tom's birthday booth here. I'm like, what do you mean? Because there's only a Thomas. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sakes. Are we all on this kick? <laughs> it's, like, it's a nightclub, man. Like, you have to bring 100 points of ID, a vial of semen, you know, <laughs> lineage, <laughs> lineage reports dating back to the 15th century. Yes, I am Welsh. <laughs> Oh my god, it's a nightclub, man. Seriously, and th- and th- then the booking itself, man. They wanted they were screening people. They wanted like um, social media profiles of minimum fifty percent of the of the group, so they could pre-screen the individuals going in. Like, what do you look at? Like, I, I laughed. I said, "Yeah, go ahead." So given as I don't have a Facebook account, I go, "Sure, okay." Give him my cooking page, give him my podcast page, give him two of my business accounts. You'll never get me. He's turning up the good, the bad, or the fucking horrific. <laughs> oh, God. So, what was that? <laughs> my God. I don't know. The other thing is, is, I bought a drink and I cut my lip on the glass. There was a like a crack in the top of the glass, and I, I you know, didn't notice until I actually took a sip and it cut my whole friggin' lip. And it looks like I've got you know, herpes from space or something now. It's blown up a bit. I gave the glass back to the the woman behind the the counter, and she sort of looked at it, then looked at me, and then just put the glass to the side. Like I didn't see her physically throw it out into a bin. It's like, like, throw it out. Is it there to be assessed? They're going to reuse it and just chance it that no one else complains? The amount of money these clubs would make at the bar, it's it's disgusting. Because they're not serving good shit. They're serving diluted crap. And you're paying a mint. 
I'm looking at my charges on my on my credit card and um, bank transfers that I did throughout the night, and it's actually disgusting. <laughs> yeah, sure, it's a night out for yeah bucks or whatever, but still. Anyway, it was all worth it to feel like crap the next day. But here's the thing. I was poo-pooing my efforts because I was, you know, in the older echelon of the group. But I was one of the last men standing to the point where I found, I must have snapshotted it by accident when I was trying to close my phone, like on that night. I I woke up and I found a pack of smokes, pack of reds in my bathroom on the on the bench. And someone said to me, who'd you steal them from? I said, and I checked my phone and there's actually a credit card um, like purchase at a 7-Eleven that night. So I clearly walked into a 7-Eleven water pack of darts. <laughs> it's smoke. But I've got a pack of darts with one or two missing. And, yeah, the snapshot, sorry, was of a scooter scooter usage in the city at a quarter to six in the morning. So, you know what? I think for someone who's at the the, the point, the, uh, the tail end of a, a long and storied, uh, storied career of binge drinking and clubbing, I think to pull that off in, in being in the worst shape that I've ever been in my entire life, I think I did well. Yeah, I can <laughs> I can brag about that on the internet for two seconds. Why not? Anywho, I went to I went to a, I went to a gig. Something I've done a bit since um like in twenty twenty two is I've gone to a couple of gigs that I normally probably wouldn't have gone to as many the other years, and then definitely not through COVID. But I mean, I went to Kiss. And yeah, I went and saw Tech Nine is a, a rapper. Um, I'd seen him before, like five, six years ago, something like that. And um, the last time I saw him, it was playing at Billboards in the city, which is like a you know, decent club size sort of venue. This time around, it was like an RSL ish sort of venue in um, in Thornbury, Northcote. And it was like this guy, this rapper, is like one of the top twenty earners, you know, pre two thousand and. 15 or something, you know, icon, and he's playing at the RSL. <laughs> it was a weird vibe, and before we went in, like, we went in and um, went to the bar, and they wanted, you know, 15 bucks or whatever for a beer. I remember looking at them, the boy, was it about four or five, it was four of us? It was four of us. And we looked at each other and said, well, fuck this, there's a bottle just across the road. So we went to the bottle shop, bought, like, a six-pack or four pack of uh, something and then like a flask or something else and I bought a bunch of pork rinds and jerky and chips went to the car park and just squatted underneath the street light <laughs> like it was 17 it was mad we had a good vibes but I remember even there with the the thing with the phones that night I actually wrote this one down because I didn't want to forget it there was a guy standing next to me and it was such a weird crowd too, man. There was an overwhelming stench of like body odor, stale cigarettes, and human feces. It was such a potpourri. It killed me. 
absolutely killed me. Like you couldn't even take a deep breath just to, you know, if you're vibing the thing. I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> the reason why I remember this guy that was standing next to me, he had he literally stood motionless for a good hour, mouth like half a jar, just staring, <laughs> just staring. And I still remember his hair. It sort of looked like something you'd seen, like Beavis and Butthead, of like an older stoner in high school or something. Like it had grown out, but it's not like he'd cut it with any style, like beforehand. So it was just long hair that's grown out. And he was just staring like comatose. And then at one point, I sensed him moving. And he had taken a video of like something on stage, like you know, some part of the performance or whatever. And I was watching him struggle to put it, to get it like, I'm, I'm assuming he was trying to upload it. He literally, he filmed like, you know, 10, 20 seconds of the the performance. And he missed like three songs that were being performed because he was trying to figure out how to upload the video. <laughs> um. I almost like wanted to grab the phone off him and say, "Hey, man, like, do you want me to do it?" But I did. Yeah, he was part of that poopy sort of thing, so I didn't. I didn't have my um. Yeah, what's it called? Rubber gloves. <laughs> um. Yeah, I know that made me laugh. I thought it was funny. Um, I'm sure there's more crap that I wanted to talk about. I don't actually remember. There's only two things that I actually do remember. I want to talk about. Um. Yeah, the two things that I'd actually wanted to speak about. One of them I remembered. I'd put this down ages ago, was uh, the Qatar situation, or Qatar, or however you want to pronounce it, depending on where you are in the world. But that country over in the Middle East where they're having the, uh, the World Cup right now of European football, for soccer as some people know it. <laughs> I can't believe the national team's called the Socceroos. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know, it's so limp-wristed. Anyway... I think it's hilarious that people are out crying right now in regards to what's going on over there. And it all started with the, the human rights thing. Our teams are reprimanded from wearing, you know, the uh, rainbow colored bands or having a little we care, one love emblem stitched on their shirts and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I'm in two minds about the whole using, uh, sports as a political platform. I know John in the past has said that politics should stay out of sports. I'm in the mind of, you know, obviously depending on what the issue is and the, um, the sincerity of the act, I think sports uh, sports stars and individuals have a platform that's unparalleled, especially in 2022. And so using it to shed light onto situations, which most people may not be, you know, which may not be common knowledge or whatever, I think isn't a bad thing. If you think about um, the 60s, I think it was 68, 68, 72, 68, somewhere there, I'm pretty sure it was the 60s, the uh, the Olympics, the one where um, uh, the names, um, uh, Peter Norman was the Aussie guy, Peter Nor- I, I remember that. We had, hang on, wait, let me look this up. 
Oh, yeah. Tommy Smith and John Carlos. They were two African-American athletes. It was 68 in uh, Mexico. And it was the, hang on, what they, the 200-meter race in 68. That's one of the most famous sporting and political moments in recorded history, modern recorded history, where Tommy Smith and John Carlos uh, came first and third, and Peter Norman ran second. As the flags um, were raised, they raised their fists, you know, as in the form of a, like a Black Power salute, like a Black Black Panther salute. Sorry, you know, representing Black uh, Black Power, and um, later on, like I remember, uh, hang on, if you read, actually, if I've I've read about this extensively because I think it's a really important moment. It's a really powerful moment, especially the story after the post story of that that thing. But, uh, Smith said that it was uh, the gesture itself was not a black power salute per se, but more a human rights salute. And uh, yeah, the demonstration is regarded as one of the most overtly political statements in the history of modern Olympics. The reason why it really bothered me, uh, why I've read uh, a lot about it is because Peter Norman, the Aussie, he actually set records for Australia, but because of his involvement in that event, he's the one that suggested that um, they share their gloves. One guy, because uh, one of the guys had forgotten his gloves, uh, you know. And uh, Peter Norman suggested that they they wear one each. And Peter Norman wasn't without uh, w- wasn't uh, participating. He was actually wearing all three of them were wearing Olympic Project for Human Rights uh, badges because Peter Norman was a critic of Australia's white only policy, which was only had only been disbanded not that long before. You know, I'm talking like a decade. Like it's still in the in the memory. Anyway, so what happened was after after the Olympics themselves. They all got shit-canned, yeah, so um, Smith and Carlos were suspended from the team. They were banned from Olympic Village. Uh, they weren't forced to return their medals, but they were suspended. Um, and large, like, you know, they were largely ostracized from everything. Peter Norman copped it, man. Like, he came back to Australia, and he was just um, reprimanded. Like, he's, he's you know, criticized and conservatives in the media – he wasn't set. He didn't go to the, the seventy-two Olympics because of his. Um, even though he qualified, yeah, uh, he wasn't invited to participate in the two thousand Olympics, like the opening ceremony. Uh, it was a joke, and the Americans actually invited him to Sydney to take part in the celebrations when they heard that Australia wasn't even inviting him down. Anyway, he died. He passed away in two thousand six, and um, both Smith and Carlos, the, the African American runners, they were pallbearers at his funeral. And in twenty twelve, the House of Representatives here actually uh, officially apologized and recognized the role he had. But at the time, at the time, he was treated like a villain. Anyway. What makes me laugh is the fact that Qatar or Qatar, um, they've landed the FIFA World Cup in a country where, A, the conditions themselves aren't fit for sport of, of any kind, really, on a national level like this. To, to be, and not necessarily fit for sport, but not fit for, for athletes that are climatized to other conditions. See, all the European players are coming from winter where it's getting cold, snowing in most countries, or some countries, and they're forced to play in 
conditions that, you know, you're waking up and, and you're facing 30-degree days. Get to, like, top of 50 there during summer. Normally, the games would be played in summertime. So they moved it to, to winter. But the fun, this is the thing. They cracked the sads because the Qataris, in a last-minute call, decided to ban the sale of alcohol in their venues. So you got all these English <laughs> football firms and, you know, South Americans and, and whatever going to this, you know, country where the sale of booze isn't allowed. Who watches sport without alcohol? It doesn't happen. To the point where Budweiser was going to try and sue them because they've got a, a warehouse now full of booze that they can't touch. They're an official sponsor. Like, how bad does it look? You know, your official sponsor of the games can't actually sell their own product in the the, the competition within the competi- competitive grounds. But that's not even the kicker. The stinkies is that Carter's got a terrible human rights r- track record. Terrible. And the, like, you know, gay um, tourists and soccer fans were warned to keep their PDAs, uh, PDA levels down to a minimum at risk of getting reprimanded in the streets. And so, well, you gave the Qataris the World Cup. What did you expect? Like a turn of cheek? Like, oh, we're all accepting now. No. They've got horrendous human rights records, man, like for... Equality, gender, sexuality, all that sort of thing. And they're acting surprised. And Oh, my God, is this really happening? Like, dude, have you seen what Saudi Arabia has been doing for the last 50 years? <laughs> I love it. It's, got the, it's that arrogant swag, swagger of like the Christian missionaries or the Mormons. Yeah, they go into uncivilized tribes and then come out either eaten or sacrificed to a higher power. Like, they think that they just get... Like, that idiot! What was the name of that absolute moron who went to those uh, islands off the coast of India somewhere where they're officially designated as no-go zones because there are um, indigenous tribes there that have been untouched and uncontacted by modern civilization. And the few times that they've tried to bro- broker, like, you know, um, some form of relationship with them or, or just even interaction, um, yeah, they've been attacked, you know, aggressively. They've been shown antagonis- antagonism and, and they haven't bothered. And that, that moron, I think I'm pretty sure it was a Mormon missionary or something. He was going to go there and uh, spread the word of the good Lord. <laughs> and they ended up killing him on sight <laughs> and burying him in the sand. It's just the arrogance, the absolute arrogance and ignorance of the situation. <sighs> and s- speaking of civil rights being abused, that was the other thing during the weekend. The, g- the grand old election. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. I completely forgot about it. I voted early on um, Thursday or Wednesday or something. I can't remember what it was. Um... Yeah, I, I voted early because I knew Saturday I'd, I'd be tied up or wouldn't have a chance to go vote. And um, I completely forgot about it. And in the lead up, I actually caught up with a bunch of different people over th- the Thursday, the Friday, and the Saturday. 
you know, I had coffee with a couple of friends I hadn't seen in ages. I, I ran into a few people in the city that I hadn't seen in ages. And I basically got the premise of, yeah, from these individuals that if Dan Andrews gets back in, we're all fucked. Uh, I got a lot of, I'm leaving the state, you know, basically repeating the same shit that I'd heard back in 2020. Uh, you know, if the mandates didn't lift or the the lockdowns uh, didn't lift, they were going to move. All of people are still here in Victoria, <laughs> haven't gone anywhere. Um, but nevertheless, yeah, I, I just kept my mouth shut. I said, look, man, I, got, I think people are going to be unpleasantly surprised because Dan Andrews has got a base and, you know, the base itself is, is freaking deep, you know, Landslide victory, like 2018. Like he's up until the mandates and the lockdown uh, laws and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, he had his critics, but he's been u- universally held. He's got he's the longest reigning Victorian premier for a reason. He like, <laughs> um. Anyway, so I just sort of started patting it out. Yeah, you know, I didn't argue with him on on the man's politics or anything. I just said, look, man, I go, I think you're going to be you're going to be surprised. I didn't didn't think he would hold on to power, but I thought he would definitely be surprised. Anyway, um, it gets to Saturday, and we're all getting smashed, gearing up for the night out, and someone said, fuck, I think Labor's won. went, really? So I checked out the news, as you know, Dan Andrews projected victory, blah, 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 blah. Matthew Guy to resign, like unsure of uh, resignation, that sort of thing. I just laughed. I was like, okay. <laughs> so he's still in. Anyway, I woke up to the aftermath like the next day. And um, <laughs> uh, it's amazing, you know. But I'd never seen so many, and I put, I shared something on on social media, okay, about. Um, <laughs> I actually like this. Hang on a second, let me see this. Let's have a look here. What I shared on social media was a Batuta Advocate post. Now, Batuta Advocate are a satirical Instagram account, and they take the piss out of everything, okay. And they're not left or right. They're just, they're, they're dead set center. When you do satire, you have to be, you know, centrist basically because you've got to be able to take the piss out of both sides. And they put up a post and it's a picture of Dan Andrews and next to nothing but headlines from the last two years of Dan Andrews. So Toxic Dan, Urban Rail Dope, Suburban Urban Rail Dope, Vic Bitter, Ain't No Sunshine, Sunshine Lockdown Hits Home, House of Cards, you know, just all this negative Andrews headline stuff, right? And the Batuta Advocate article just starts, it's all over Rupert, you know, obviously uh, leveling at Rupert Murdoch, who owns Herald Sun and Fox News and all that sort of stuff. So the article basically just comes off and says, you know, despite the fact that the rest of the country doesn't really give a fuck about Victorian state politics, you have to admit that the election results over the weekend was pretty hilarious. Coming off the back of a 2018 landslide win, three years of bushfires, lockdowns, and relentless criticism, Victorian Premier Dan Andrews has proven that old media is dead. So this comes after an entire term of non-stop front-page character assassinations leveled leveled towards him by the Australian and the Herald Sun, 
two Murdoch-owned propaganda rags that would have you believing that Andrews was not going to win a single seat because he's a, he's a crooked Chinese-owned reptile who everyone hates. So brazen was the Sky News and News Corp assault on Andrews that the entire Murdoch stable have just shown the world how irrelevant and out of touch they are. This was made clear at the ballot as the voters clarified that their own political views are the complete opposite of the media class who spent three years stoking conspiracies and making fun of a 50-year-old man for breaking his back after working 200 days straight. <sighs> anyway, the, the article goes on to say a bit more. And like I said, it's all satire as well, but you know, they invariably always have a bit of truth in there. And what they said wasn't wrong. And it's, it's exactly what I was repeating to all you know, the people that I spoke to. Don't like everyone was making it out as if Dan Andrews was going to get you know tried, hung, and uh, drawn and quartered because of you know what he did to to them and the pain that he's put them all through and all that sort of stuff. And I said, guys, it's it's not like that. The problem is, is we live in an echo chamber, and so many people hear that you know their opinions just get spat back at them. And that's what happened. Uh, I got a, fr- a friend, yeah, friend, quote unquote, however you want to do it. And they put up a post right after the elections, and it said, "Selected, not elected, not my premier." You know, he'd already been s- <laughs> something about fraud, and I just went. Uh, So I put up this thing on the Batuta, and they messaged me straight away. And I'm so used to getting texts like this, you know, all the time now. Every time I put something up that criticizes anything to do with their, um, what's it called? Their beliefs, whether it's political, religious, whatever, I get a, a message straight away. So she's replied to my story, and she said, it was a rigged election. No one I know voted Labor. He's an evil pedophile. Right. So I responded and said, number one, the irony of a devout Pentecostal accusing someone of being a pedophile. Okay, let's not even open that one. And she responded with, he is, just because you don't know he is. I'm like, okay. And I said, two, okay, no one you know. So I guess that seals it. I didn't realize that you and your social network represent the greater population of Victorians who voted. And the fact of the matter is that you live in Sydney. <laughs> So, what people overlook is that before the restrictions, Andrews had an unfettered following. The lockdowns is the only thing that divided anyone for the first time, breaking ranks in within the Labor Party and uh, like of the Labor Party within a world community, a big base of who you and as in myself and my this friend of mine are typically part of. So the echo chamber of wogs, especially who are you know religiously Labor voters for years. But they would, you know, the, the lockdowns, depending who you were, really sort of struck a chord. So, and then I added, not only have charges of abuse have never ever been presented or levied against Andrews, which I think would be something they could bring up considering the, the uh, slander campaign that they'd run, charges have been brought forward to top-reaching members of your specific church, being the Pentecostals, Hillside and all that, Hillsong and all that sort of stuff. But I don't see you backing out of your religion or promoting any of that or bringing it to light. I have, because every time I have, 
she's commented. And she said, oh, the only thing, you know, I have to laugh at that. I'm like, what do you mean? And I said, forget the fact that child abuse runs rampant historically in religious institutions. And I, go, and I said, yeah, I go, I laugh every day. I go, you should do it more often and keep the insanity of organized religion at bay. I'm like, seriously. Just amazing. Like, it's, it's only with the far right. Every time they lose an election of some kind, it's fraud. It, you know, it's a scam. It's fraud. It's fake news. Like, all the usual shit keeps coming out. If they won the election, it was fair and square. There's no evidence of election fraud. There's no evidence that Dan Andrews is a pedophile. But no, he, he is, as if she was the person molested. That's how, that's how sure she is. It shits me. <laughs> and that's the thing with Dan Andrews. I mean, personally, you look at my situation and why I would vote against him. Well, I think the knee-jerk reaction and overcompensation of you know all the uh, COVID um, payouts speak for themselves. You had people on JobSeeker getting twice what they were normally getting just because. I didn't get into JobSeeker. My business, one of my businesses was directly affected to it where it ground my income to zero. I was still handling all the overheads. But because I wasn't homeless, a drug dependent, a Torres Strait Islander, or a degenerate, um, generational, a generationally unemployed individual, I got nothing. When the lockdowns came, I was a single guy living alone whose personal business had stopped, cold, and all of a sudden, I got no help, nothing. Ran up all my debt, lost all my savings. Just is what it is. I could easily complain, and I didn't. <laughs> and it's these fashionably religious people or people who just get these conflicting political ideologies that really have no idea what they're supporting. They just think that they know better. <sighs> anyway, well, the people have spoken. <laughs> of course, it's funny. Yeah. Dan Andrews is not her... Premier. Well, he's not. She lives in Sydney. <laughs> and you know what? The, the, the thing that really pisses me off is that this individual, the, the one I'm actually referring to, I've invited onto my podcast many times to discuss anything. Open forum. She can give me a list of no-go zones. Everything. I've invited them on so often. They will use their platform and to spew the same echo chamber bullshit to the the few people that they have, you know, however many followers they have. And she'll be the first person to attack me completely ungrounded in, in my DMs. But when I invite her to a public platform to actually discuss shit, it goes cold. goes quiet, doesn't respond to shit. Now, why is that? You know, one time, I've probably mentioned this as well, one time in the past she said, oh, because people are too judgmental and once you put something out there, it's there forever. And I said, well, the irony of that is, is that I guess I have more faith in my opinion than you do, given we're going to discuss religion. You know, if someone has more information on something, please, by all means, educate me. You know? But <laughs> if you're going to come out with baseless shit like Dan Andrews is a pedophile and this election was fixed, okay, 
prove it. I'm waiting for the proof. I'm not saying Dan Andrews can't be a pedophile. Of course he can. But as far as I know, he isn't. But there's ironclad proof out there floating around on the dark web. Yeah. The same way the Queen's a reptilian and uh, we live on a flat earth. And Jesus will come. Smoke crack. (laughs) Hold up. 